All right, everybody, welcome to the block. This week we actually have a special episode. Uh, we are going to have a few folks on here who have been at some local protests to uh, kind of get their side of the story of everything that happened. But first, we're going to start this episode the way that we normally do uh, with James. Actually, hey, James. How's it going today? <laughs> I probably should introduce you <laughs> first. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I want to say welcome back to the block, guys. As always, I want to have you guys thank you guys for listening. Um, our purpose of our podcast, as always, is to do better within our own blocks and introduce different ways that we can do better in our blocks. Um, one way, thing that we're doing is doing a follow-up from our last part, podcast, uh, which we really talked about activism. And so we wanted to have and touch base with some people who have been out at local protests. Um, so we're going to get to that, though, in just a second. Yep. So as always, as we start our show, uh, James, what did you do to better your block this week? So this this week has been a busy week. Um, as always, or as always right now, we're doing a lot of base, touching base within our greenhouse. Um, so basically the greenhouse has been a major project that we're, we're doing right now. Um, so I did a little bit of work inside the greenhouse. Uh, we have some plants and things growing out there right now. So I did do some pruning on some of those plants. But we also have a commercial kitchen coming in on the property. So started to do some major clearing in our sheds, uh, which uh, my nephew Chris came out and did some help with that. So did some rearranging within the sheds, moved some of our projects outside of the house and into those sheds. Um, and as of right now, even going on today, uh, we have a new fencing project going on and started to do some discussing on what we're going to actually have growing within that fencing project. So our goal, again, is with our property and everything that we're doing out here right now is to make sure that everything that we do is able to provide some kind of income uh, within our property. So that discussion is underway and kind of started as we get ready to go into a September growing season um, as the weather gets a little bit cooler. So oh, fantastic. All right. So then, uh, was that was that everything? Yeah, okay, that perfect. That. Well, then we're going to get into our our special uh, discussion here. We've got a couple of guests. We actually have uh, Christian, who is James's nephew, and then friend Anthony, um, who have all been active at protests and have been attending. And uh, we're going to let you guys take the conversation from there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you didn't have me on speaker. Sorry. Sorry, you guys. There's a little little technical difficulty there. So, uh, actually, we have our guests on. Christian, are you there? Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yep, yeah. I can. Christian? And uh, then uh, and then, do we also have Anthony? Hello, hello. How are you doing? Fantastic. Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, um, kind of want to get into the meat and everything that was going on right now. Uh, last week on the show, I talked about activism, uh, different ways that people can actually be involved um, within their communities and things that they can do. Uh, like myself, I've been out to a couple different protests. Um, I know that Chris has been, and I know Anthony has been as well. Um, a question that I want to ask both you guys, uh, what made you guys want to get involved when 
I know with this current climate and everything going on, was there a major event or a defining moment that made you want to get involved with these protests? You can go first, Chris. Um, yeah, so um, I think for me it's a major event is looking on the news and seeing everything that, you know, has been happening with, um, like, the George Floyd case, uh, Breonna Taylor. Um, it kind of just struck a little bit because for me where it kind of broke that wall was with uh, Trayvon Martin. So I, I was in high school at that time. So inside my head I was like, I'm, there's no, I'm a kid. There's nothing I could really do. Um but once I realized, you know, uh, what was kind of going on and everything that was getting set up, um, and then just talking to uh, you, James, about it and, you know, you being like, yeah, like I've, I've been on a couple stuff, um, you know, I've worked on some campaigns, let's go. And so um, that was like my first time ever actually going and um, stepping out of the bubble to dive into that kind of nature. And something I, you know, I want to touch base on something that you said is being a kid. Um, I know for myself and growing up with a mother that I've had, a grandmother that you've had who has been in academia uh, my entire life, um, so more than 40 years. Um, there's no age, and I, more I want to have anyone that possibly listen to a podcast Everyone at every age is affected by what goes on in the world today. Um, so just because you maybe can't vote, um, but it, it, you have to get involved. We want everyone to get involved, and your voices should be heard. And if anyone is not willing to hear a voice based on age, that's just the person you shouldn't be talking to because you, your life is affected by what's going on in the world today. Um, Anthony, same question. So, was there a defining moment for you that made you want to get involved in the pot or in the protests going on? Um, yeah, well, I like what Chris said a lot too. Um, based on being a black male, having that father figure in my life, always advocating his side of growing up in America and telling me the racist experiences he's had. I've always wanted to, you know, see where I could almost change his mindset of his growing up and kind of live through his lifestyle. So I would hear these racist stories as a kid, and I'd be like, wow, that's crazy. Like, I've, I've never experienced anything like that growing up here in Austin. So, you know, once Chris said the Trayvon Martin and stuff like that started happening and it becoming more on a larger scale, that's when it started to affect us more at a understanding, you know, age because he was a kid coming home from school and it was just one of those things where it was more of an understanding of, okay, this is what's happening to young minorities in America, so what can we do to make a change? So once it got closer to home in Austin, I feel like that was what ignited, you know, people like Chris and myself to actually be out there on the front lines and, you know, it's part of history and I'm sure Chris feels like a revolutionary as well. You know, I'm sure you've had those thoughts, too, of, like, people in the 60s and, you know, having these protesting and actually risking their lives against a large mass of, you know, people that hate a certain minority group. And it's not that bad for us, luckily. So I feel like it's, it's a lot easier to go out there and protest when you know where you're coming from. So I guess my, my whole trigger would be a Trayvon Martin, too. That's the kind of thing that hit us hardest. 
at, the, at that age. And, you know, the stuff like that, seeing what it can do in your community, going out there and protesting. Uh, absolutely. And for those uh, who have been sleeping under a rock and don't know about the Trayvon Martin, <laughs> um, I just want to say absolutely. that was the case of a young man uh, who was minding his own business and was, as we've seen, a couple different incidents of a young black man walking through neighborhoods where a uh, certain demographic believed they shouldn't be there. Uh, there was a man, uh, Zimmerman, who took it upon himself to follow a kid, um, ignored all the the calls and the uh, excuse me the advice of 911 when they were telling him to stop following the kid, and when the kid decided to fight back against a, an adult aggressor, uh, Zimmerman took out a gun and actually killed and ended this kid's life, and was actually unfortunately acquitted, even though. Um, using the I was scared of a black man uh, defense, even though he continued to follow uh, this young man after 911 told them not to follow him. So that was just a brief synopsis on the Trayvon Martin, just in case anyone was sleeping in a rock during, <laughs> during the last few years. Exactly, exactly. Um, For those who don't want to know what's going on. Well, I agree. I, I yeah. think that we all start to understand this. There is a very much a decision of people who decided they no longer, or they just want to turn a blind eye to it. Um, but exactly. I think we are all making a, a big enough voice and enough of us are getting involved. And it was one of the reasons why we started this podcast is, is another way to get voices out there and people to continue the fight and not allow the, the media lights as the media moves on to the next thing, it's up to us to continue to keep the light on, you know, for instance, you mentioned the Breonna Taylor case, which justice has not been served in that case, and there has been no movement on that. But as we all continue to talk about it and stay on top of it, eventually they're going to have to do something. So a couple of I kind of want to get involved. I know when Chris and I actually went out to the protest, one of the ones uh, that was here in Austin. And when we got home and, and kind of settled down, we started to exchange text back and forth of things that we saw within the protest. So I want to ask both of you this question. When you went out to the protest, I want to hear about your experience. What happened to you guys? How did you feel getting involved? And what was your experience? Chris, take the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is me, Anthony, speaking. My experience experience down there was a very powerful beautiful disaster um um the the day before we went we were in houston um may 30th and there was a big protest because that's where george floyd was from uh, his hometown you know he was out in houston a lot of people knew him and i had no idea that uh it was going to be that big of a protest in houston so once we got down there it was it was you could just feel the tension in the air you can just feel so many emotions thriving you know, positively and negatively, and it was just one of those times where I couldn't feel more alive. And that night, May 30th in Houston, was probably one of the wildest nights I've seen in, like, 
my lifetime just because there was so much going on and it was almost stuff out of a movie scene, people breaking into buildings, shots being uh, blown up in the air. You just hear gunshots on every block from, like, you know, just officers. And, you know, it was just crazy. But at the same time, when you understand where this emotion is coming from, you don't, you don't even question it. I was in the street protesting with my brother as all this was going on, and I didn't have a, a doubt in my body that I should be there. I was like, why am I down here? It was nothing like that. It was like, if you believe in something, you can't just believe in it sometimes or when you feel good. You know, I was down there for my birthday and I was still in the street protesting and there wasn't any question about it because if I'm going to stand for something, I'm going to be, I wanted to be known at all times. And I wasn't down there screaming Black Lives Matter. I was advocating no justice, no peace, all oppression. You know, I, I, I empathize with everyone on every level. I just don't try to put myself in a category of black culture, I try to consider myself a people person, you know, I'm not just, you know, going to try to justify someone, a black person being killed, I'll justify a white person being killed as well, so when I'm down there at these protests, I try to make that my whole justified means for being down there, so all oppression, everyone who's been done wrong by the system, not just black people, because we know that, like, if you're in America, you know the minorities have been done wrong, and being done wrong constantly, so it's like, for you to speak on that, it's almost like the already know. But like I said, when I got to Austin from Houston, luckily we didn't get any trouble in Houston. It was just like a, like a very, 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 very powerful protest. So once we got to Austin, I was like, well, it's not going to be that crazy. There's no way it'll be that intense. But when we got down there, I went with my twin brother, and we got down there around 4 p.m. And it was very, very subtle. And as the day progressed, more people came out, my twin brother and I, Arthur, uh, Arthur Evans, we were down there at the APD building, speaking officers face-to-face, questioning them. Um, you can quote my brother, why are the cops scared of the people? You know, we are asking them a lot of those questions, like, is y'all protecting us? Why do y'all have guns pointed at us? Is y'all are there to do y'all's job? Why can't y'all ask our questions? You know, so we're just being very vocal with the police. We weren't down there to insult them or, you know, make, make them feel like crap or anything. We just want to make them understand that we realize what's going on in America and y'all can't sit here and tell us any any more BS when it's in front of our eyes at this point. And um, we were, you know, calling the cops out, calling them murderers, calling them thugs, asking them why do they protect murderers and thugs and why do they feel like they're above the law. And just, you know, making sure they understand that people know what's going on. But um, as the night started to roll around, and things started to get more rowdy. Um, there were some protesters that did throw water bottles at the police station. And unfortunately, me and my brother were near that, so the cops started shooting their uh, rubber bullets into the crowd, and we had to, like, run and disperse. My brother has all this on camera, so maybe one day he could send it to Chris or, or James, and you guys could have some of that footage. But, you know, we definitely love to share some of the, the videos that we got from being down there, and you guys would definitely still the energy just from watching the videos of how the real things were. Like, you know, we literally have, like, videos, you know, bullets flying past us, cops shooting at a car, like, that we were hiding behind. You know, so it was a very intense moment. But, you know, there was never a time where we were like, dude, we got to go home. We have to leave. It was like, we're down here. We realize the risks that are happening. And we understand that people have died to be, 
you know, in that protesting position. You know, some people didn't have the right to protest or even get the chance to. So we had to have that, that conversation with each other and be like, dude, are you okay with being down here after we just got shot at? And he's like, I mean, I'm okay with it if you are. You know, I understand that it's a risk and, you know, we are putting our lives in that danger, but it's for a bigger cause. So once we had that conversation, we stayed down there. We began to uh, march with a bunch of people um, on the bridge, and then everybody came together again at the APD building. It was just one of those moments where you just see so many just hues of skin color, and at that point, it's almost like you don't even care what color you're looking at because it's just so much love and support from people that want to see minorities being brought to justice. You know, it may not be for just a killing crime, it could be a sex crime, a abuse crime, all anything. You know, the, the system's corrupt in many levels. People think it's just the police system and about killing. It's like, no, like, there's cops that are, you know, charged with rape cases, and they don't even get brought to trial because they're a cop. So there's people down there that are enlightening me as well about what I'm down there for. And it's like, I'm, I'm for everyone. I'm all about the people. So if you can enlighten me and give me more reason to be down there, I'm all for it. So that's really what motivated me to stay down there because the people that you meet, it's a beautiful thing because they're not there to, you know, judge you or, you know, do anything like that. Like, they see you for who you are and respect it. And um, unfortunately, my story doesn't, you know, end as positive as I would like it to because uh, <laughs> I was leaving the protest and I was leaving around 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, and as I was leaving... Um, the cops from on top of the bridge, they noticed me walking. I was by myself, and one of the cops in the bridge felt the need to shoot me in the face with um, a rubber bullet gun. Um, I was struck in the face that night. Uh, I had to walk home eight miles because I didn't have my cell phone because it was dead. And when my brother got lost in the crowd, and he didn't have his phone either. So after the cops shot me, I kind of just, had to gather my thoughts together to see what the best thing to do next was. And um, as I'm thinking, I'm literally like gushing out blood out of my mouth. It, it was like one of those moments where survival mode kicked in, and I just started walking towards my house. I was downtown. I live on William Cannon. And they said it was about an eight-mile walk. And um, as I was walking, I got about four miles into the walk, and I saw some cops on the corner, and I went up to them, and I was like, excuse me, officer, even in, even as the situation was happening, I realized I can't just walk up to this cop car. And, you know, as a black male, I still had to use cautious um, procedures. You know, if I yelled, you know, from a good 50 feet, you know, officer, I've been injured at the protest. Do you think you could help me out? And he kind of looked out the window and was like, no, nah, we're busy. And they just, like, drove past me as I'm gushing out blood. And I was kind of just like, wow, this is really the America we live in, you know, where cops can literally tell you, no, I don't want to help you because I have something else to do. And I didn't even want to react to it in a negative way because I didn't want myself to end up in the back of that cop car or being a black male and kind of getting angry with the cops doesn't mix well in this country. So even as I'm injured, I still have to have my thought process, think, safety. Like, you can't even get upset with these officers because you might become a, a statistic. So they drove past me, and I kind of just let them drive off. I didn't, you know, yell or you know, anything like that, I kind of just had to, you know, have that conversation with myself, like, all right, you're gushing out a bunch of blood, this is, you know, pretty dangerous, and as I got 
to the realization that I'm going to have to walk home. Uh, you know, survival mode and my anxiety just kind of pushed me to get to that point of understanding that I'm on my own. And, you know, sometimes the spirit is stronger than the physical form. And I'm a very, you know, God-believing man. And uh, as I was walking, I just really felt a weight lifted from my legs, my whole body. And I just began to walk. And I walked, you know, eight miles to my house, fortunately. I didn't have to, you know, sit down, take any breaks. I literally just walked straight from downtown to my house, and, you know, I got home, and my twin brother was there, and I got to his room door, and he opened it and saw my face, and he just freaked out, and um, he just was like, dude, like, what, what is going on? What happened to you? And I explained to him, like, you know, I, I got shot by an officer in the face. Like, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why. Like, I was just walking in the street, and, you know, I just felt pressure in me. And he was like, dude, like, you need to go to the hospital. And I didn't want to go because I, I didn't really feel that much pain in my body. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, okay, yeah, I think I need to go to the hospital because my face was pretty swollen at that point. And the thoughts in my head were just so many. And once I was looking in the mirror, I was just like, wow. I'm really, like, you know, I was really in shock. Like, I didn't know what to think. I was like, the officer really shot me in the face. I didn't, even as I'm thinking this, I was trying to recollect anything that I did down there that would advocate or antagonize that type of action from an officer. And um, there was nothing, you know, me and my brother, we weren't down there to protest, uh, protest in a negative way. We didn't go down there to riot. We didn't go down there to start any, you know, negative actions from anyone. So for that to be the outcome of my night was a very big question mark over my head. And I still don't know to this day, you know, a lot of people tell me it was just your calling to be down there and open people's eyes based off of your injury. And, you know, that's what I take it as. And uh, luckily for me, not even, I don't say luckily, but thankfully I'm one of those people that can look on the bright side of things and see that I made it out of the situation a stronger, wiser, more evolved person. And I had a lot of time to think about that when I was in the hospital because after the injury, I did have to go to the hospital that night, and I was there for about four days. That to do reconstructive surgery on my jaw. The left side of my jaw was shattered, you know, by the, the bullet when it struck my face. It just shattered my whole jawbone. So that's the reconstructive surgery, put a metal plate in my jaw. And um, at this point, it's going to be permanent. Um, they're not going to be able to take it out. Um, my mouth is wired for two months straight. I couldn't open my teeth. I couldn't yawn. I couldn't do anything. I had to drink through a straw. Um, and not, I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm just so fortunate to make it out of that situation and look back and be like, wow, that was a very intense moment in my life that I would have never thought I'd be at. And to drink through a straw for, you know, two whole months, blend all my food for two months, and which is quite those one of the humbling experiences of my lifetime. Like, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And it just gave me a big understanding for a lot of things, you know, some people don't get the chance to even eat at night, and I still have the chance to, you know, feed myself and still do the little things that make people appreciate life a lot. You know, I work with the elderly, I take care of uh, this um, dementia and Alzheimer's residents at this uh, facility out in Lakeway, so I, I've been with people who can't feed themselves, people who can't do things on their own, so it's like I know what it's like to depend on someone. So for me, it was almost that moment of, okay, well, let's see what you can do on your own. 
because I had a lot of people come in, you know, how can I do to help? What can I do to make the situation better? But I'm just so used to taking care of other people. It was a, an eye-opener that, you know, there's other people out there that care about you just as much as you care about other people. And then once my injury was, you know, explained to me on a higher level, they were like, you know, this is something we've never really seen before. This is a very rare you know, injury because, you know, it's so close to your temple and your throat. We, you know, they're just telling me all the outcomes, and I'm just like, wow, like, I truly am here for a, more of a, a higher calling reason. You know, I take care of people, and for me to still be able to have that job and take care of people and explain what happened to myself and kind of give them that understanding of, you know, this isn't just a system that is going against criminals or thugs or whatever you want to call it. You know, like I said, I'm someone who works taking care of old people. I'm not a thug. I'm not a criminal. I don't have a criminal record, but yet I was still shot in the face by a police officer, and that officer hasn't been brought to justice. They haven't told me anything that this officer is facing any type of consequences. So, you know, at this point, I'm just doing my own justice and speaking on the system and, you know, how it back, not even backfired, but how it turned on uh, its own civilians. You know, I'm an Austin civilian been here my whole life, you know, I've never, you know, done anything to bring a bad name to the city, I mean, I'm not going to say that, but it was one of those experiences where I had to go through it and, you know, explain to people now that, are you aware of what's going on, you know, what kind of person I am, you know, it could have been your brother, cousin, sister, anyone that could have been injured, you know, so I'm lucky enough to be able to speak on it and have friends like Chris that, you know, want to bring my story to light as well in their journey, you know, so... No. My experience was very, like I said, beautiful disaster down there. I can talk now. I can, you know, eat now. I just started eating about two weeks ago because I got my wires out of my mouth. And, you know, it's been it's been tough, but at the same time, it's been uh, a blessing being able to eat food again, being able to swallow whole, whole foods and chew. It's not as easy, but it's definitely a, um, a blessing to be able to have that functioning skill going back into my normal process of daily living. Um, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to have my voice. And I've done a bunch of interviews. Even my face was all swollen. I was doing interviews and talking on TV. And, you know, it's just one of those things that where I see that I'm comfortable doing it. So I could probably, I'll definitely continue to do it and maybe even educate myself more on, you know, how to get other people involved and get other people that comfortability of speaking on their experiences as well. And, you know, that's what my journey is about. You know, speaking of lifting people, speaking of love, and just showing people what the spirit can do based off of the mind, body, and spirit working together. Um, you know, so that's just what my experience has been like for the past, you know, couple months and since the protesting started. And I'm, you know, this has been one of those roller coaster rides for sure. No, it sounds like it. I mean, uh, it's a lot of track or anything, but yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, when, you know, no. listening to your story. Um, and it's just how crazy it is that you said you were leaving the protest, and that was when Pop decided, hey, you know, he just randomly, I'm, or was it just one of those, I'm just randomly shooting people in the crowd uh, type of situations? Because I know that myself and Chris actually experienced several cops that were just deciding to shoot everybody in the crowd. Um, yeah. That's the crazy part, James. Uh, I wasn't even in the crowd when I got shot, bro. Like, the crowd was far right. And I was, like, far left. So it wasn't like you could be like, oh, well, we shot into the crowd. You know, I was kind of one of those people just walking in the street away from the crowd, you know. So that's what my big 
my because I, I even tried to give the cop the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, maybe he, you know, I don't know, shot at the wrong thing, thought he saw someone around me. But the more I re- the more I re- recollect the night, it was like, dude, I was literally in the middle of the street by myself, no one around me, no bottles or anything. You know, there wasn't anything to antagonize that action. So to answer your question, no, like, you know, I wasn't in the crowd or anything like that. I was literally in the middle of the street walking. And then I had, you know, when I'm sitting there and it was like as, because you're, I've seen the pictures where you were, you know, your face obviously was starting to show signs that you had a serious injury. And for you to go up to some cops and and say, hey, I've been injured, they had to look you in the face and say, yeah, you've been injured. And, 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 and you know, I'm just flabbergasted that they would be like, no, nah, we're too busy and drive away. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah, and it's I'm, crazy I'm because... The more people I talk about, they're like, well, that's almost like them giving you an I told you. Not an I told you so, but that's like, it was almost like a, that's what you did. And I've had people saying that, well, maybe if you weren't protesting against the cops, they wouldn't help you. And I'm like, well, I wasn't protesting the cops. I'm protesting police brutality. Do you not know the difference? And they're like, you know, they, they don't even have a response to that. You know, and it's like, I'm not saying cops are bad. I'm saying the cops that do bad things should be brought to justice. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like they're they're trying to justify a cop turning down a civilian based off of their own personal ignorance. Like you know, like oh you're you're protesting cops that you want help from the cops. Like how does that work? It's like well it is their job to help people no matter yet. you know what I mean. It's like if a burglar whatever shoots at somebody and he gets shot by the cop, the doctor's still going to do their job and you know try to bring this man back or heal his injury. You know so it's like why are cops not held to the same accountability? You know. I mean, honestly, the cops are actually supposed to be held to that same accountability. They're supposed to render aid. They're supposed to render aid. That's even, exactly. Yeah, even with someone that they could, they can encounter a guy that they had to physically, you know, apprehend. And if he's hurt and the situation is now under control, they're not supposed to just sit and let someone die or be hurt. They're supposed to render right, aid. Right, right. So it, it's – your story is is, is – uh, this additional proof of why people are out there protesting. And again, you said it great. We're not protesting cops. You're protesting the bad behavior by some cops. And exactly. we're wanting the good cops to step forward. And we understand, you know, between police unions and so forth and how hard it is for them to actually step forward and put themselves and their careers on the line. But we're at a we're at that you know precipice and that breaking point where some of these guys actually might have to put their careers on the line and step forward and not let situations like yours happen. Absolutely, and that's the thing though, um, James. Uh, I and it's like like I said, there's multiple cops up there from where the bullet came from. So like I said, it was usually three or four cops up there, no less than that. And it's like if you saw your employees shoot me in the face for no reason. Why haven't y'all turned him in? Why? You know what I mean? It's like, there's three cops up there. One of y'all has, you know what I mean? It's like, I can't sit here and give y'all the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, well, y'all didn't see it. Or, you know, it's like, dude, there was three of y'all up there. Somebody should have turned this cop in already. You know, mm-hmm. the, the police station called my house and said they have video from, I guess, the, the officer's dad or whatever. And they're like, we can't give the video, though, because there is other people that we don't have their consent. So we can't give the video, and you know I was like that's kind of bullcrap because I've seen other videos that I post where, 
you know, people are writing or whatever, and y'all post it on the news. It's, you know what I mean? Y'all don't care about who's in it or not. Yeah, it's like it's the guilty party can be uh, televised, but when the police are on the wrong, y'all don't want to, you know, own up to y'all's mistakes, and they don't want to give my family the video. They don't want to, like, you know, bring it up. So my attorneys are doing everything they can to get that video, and, you know, that's really what it's going to come, not even going to come down to, because, you know, my story speaks for itself, you know. You know, I'm speaking from truth. I'm speaking from heart. You know, I wasn't down there to, like I said, be violent or anything. So that that's that's just a little different. You know, when you when you know you did something wrong and you're kind of like, oh, well, maybe this is my karma. You know, but it's like for me, it's almost like, well, this this is more than just karma on its own. It's like this is someone who did absolutely peace by peace, peaceful as it could be down there and still be injured, it's almost like people said, you know, you have to have been the one to get injured because it's, you know, you can speak on it now and bring more to light, but, you know, for those cops to tell me that they won't release the video for that reason, it's almost like flabbergasting at this point, and we're still trying to get the video. And, you know, what's something that I want to ask, I know you you have attorneys working with, uh, working with you and doing their best to try to get this video um, is there something that we as the podcasting people who are possibly out listening that they can do to help um, get more involved in, you know, whether it be calling the police stations ourselves or calling the district attorney's office to say, hey, um, we need, you know, we had an injury happen uh, to a peaceful protester and we want justice and this shouldn't be happening and we need our, we need to have it stopped. You know, it's our First Amendment right. We have a right to protest, and the police can't get pissed because we're protesting. There is some of their actions, not necessarily them, but some of their actions, and we have that right, and they can't respond violently just because of that. I totally agree. Well, James, I definitely like the way you emphasized on how you, if I could help, I would, I at this point, I don't know what would be more beneficial to get the story out there, but we are doing a documentary on it, and they released another story today on Spectrum News about, you know, um, what happened to me and, you know, my healing process. You know, it's still being vocalized, but I would definitely love to, you know, speak with you guys maybe after the show or behind whatever scenes that we could do and see if we could do, like, a podcast call or if anyone was down there, you know what I mean, just to see if people were down there that night, if they did see me get shot or having footage of it, you know, I would definitely be down to talk to you guys about, you know, getting that out there more and seeing if people were, you know, having any type of, you know, yeah. evidence or even any type of this way to help out, you know, speak on it and everything. Well, I know from my experience of and uh, being out at protests myself, uh, you know, I, I believe the, the week before is when I actually went out to the protest and I was actually, you know, tear gassed. Or not uh, tear gas, but pepper spray. So luckily, the pepper uh, spray, the yep. yeah, the rubber bullets missed me. But you know, I was also one of those people who, you know, I went and I went to the front and I wanted to see. And I, I, I asked myself some hard questions before I went out there, and it really was about I want to see if there are evil cops out there and they're just out there to kill black people. Or, you know, the old, you know, question, are there scared cops or are there people that are just making bad decisions? And yeah. I can honestly say yes to all of them. Uh, I, you know, looking some of the cops in the eye where, you know, the, the protests were going on, I can honestly say, yeah, there were some scared cops that probably shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, 
And then I can honestly say, just like I saw a cop and actually took a picture of the cop that was on a shotgun and his energy was wrong. He was actually enjoying himself as he was just popping off mm-hmm. rounds. Um, so there were definitely cops that had the wrong energy and shouldn't have been out there because they were out there and enjoying what they were doing. Um, and then there was cops who I can honestly say, yeah, um, they were scared. And something Nikki and I talked about was that if a cop is scared with all his, his you know, tons of cops around, they're all in riot gear, they're all in all this protective gear, they got all the shotguns and all the pepper spray cannons and so forth. If he's scared then, he's definitely going to be scared by himself and pull his gun in a situation where he shouldn't have pulled his gun in and take someone's life. Because you shouldn't be scared around all of your cop buddies and you got all the gear and you got the tactical advantage and you got all the assault rifles pointed at everybody. That's not a a point where you should be scared. And if you're scared then, in a one-on-one situation, you pull your gun faster and you take someone's life faster. So it really comes down to where you're looking at a lot of this and it really comes down to just a really lack of training, but also a bad command situation. You have commanding officers that should be seeing these situations, and if I could see it as someone with no training, then they could see it with with training. They should have be they should be pulling some of these cops off the front lines and putting them back through training, or just flat out telling them, "Hey, this isn't the job for you." And that doesn't it's mean like, you're not um, it's just not the job for you. It's like uh, when I told you that they were randomly shooting into the crowd of protesters that were by the apartment building just sitting down. Like nobody was doing anything but sitting there with signs and things of that sort, and then they just started shooting into the crowd. And uh, this is you, Chris, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, I want to, something, something not maybe as traumatic. I want to hear your experience. What did you experience when you were out there at the protest? For me, it was, uh, on my end, I wouldn't say it was like totally calm. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of people out there and a lot of cops. And, uh, honestly, the, the most memorable, uh, moment for me is when we marched, um, from the police department to the Capitol building, and we went all the way, uh, you know, to the staircase, and um, there was people talking about everything going on, um, saying the names of, you know, people that lost their, lost their lives to police brutality, and then, you know, all of a sudden, it, it was like a movie. You hear marching, and it was a bunch of cops and riot gear, and um, I mean, even some of the cops came out with AR-15, um, you know, loaded and ready pretty much to go. And, um, you know, everybody lined up. And you you were even having a conversation with the cop, uh, one of the cops with right gears. And then all of a sudden, they just, you know, it took one cop to shove somebody. And then it was instant. Like, all the right cops started shoving people back, pushing people with right gear. Uh, you know, there were people getting tackled and arrested. And that that moment for me was kind of like, all right, so this is, you know, this is everything that's going on. You know, 
take me back to essentially when high school, when I thought there was nothing I could do, um, it, it was kind of like, okay, now there's something that I'm understanding. And it's like the voice is definitely the most powerful weapon. And it's something, you know, not only our city did, but every city did um, in terms. And it's, that was just the real awakening for me on that. Well, it's something that I, there's a follow-up couple questions I want to ask you both on that, but I also want to bring it into uh, a point, you know, something that I, I've discussed a couple different times on, 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 on talking to different people. I went down there absolutely being peaceful, uh, wanted to be part of a peaceful protest and so forth. Um, you mentioned that I was talking to a cop in riot gear and he had the full shield and so forth. Prior to that, I had been uh, – pepper spray. Um, I tried to break up a fight that or with a bike. Uh, there was a bike, mm. a guy on a bike mm-hmm. that decided to come through the crowd and uh, incite a riot, basically, because he was trying to rev up the crowd to, to do something. When the crowd fell on top of him, I jumped in there to break it up because I didn't want the narrative to be changed from, hey, we're down there fighting police brutality to, hey, look at all the black guys that beat up the cop or the guy on the bike, so I jumped in there, and then I had the cops jump and pull me down, and, and you know, I bruised my tailbone from that incident. And then right after that, as we marched out to the Capitol building, I'm, I'm actually talking to a cop. We're having a face-to-face conversation. I'm telling them I'm down there to be peaceful, and we're, we're having a good conversation. And uh, he was like, I understand. You know, I, you know, I hear what you guys are out here to fight and then when, you know, he was told to give the command to, you know, push people back, he actually hit me with his his riot chip. And at that point, I went from being peaceful to being pissed. It was like I'm actually having a conversation with you, and you're, you just turned around and hit me in two seconds. And so I threw a, a – a elbow back into his right shield and say, are you kidding me, dude? We were just having a conversation, which he turned it. He did apologize and acknowledged that he was in the wrong in that case. But when you have people who are, and I say this for, you know, I've said this a couple different times is as a cop, your, your, your job is to deescalate a situation. When you go to mm-hmm. dick measuring with a crowd that is already amped up or angry or pissed off at you and you no longer start using your brain, you're, you're causing just as much hurt and, and chaos as the people who are out in front of you potentially trying to cause chaos. They have to have some culpability in how they react to an angry crowd. It, it just can't be where we're cops where we, we can do whatever we want. And we're seeing way too much of that mentality of oh, we have a badge and shield. That means I can do and I can act badly if I choose to, because that's who I, that, because I'm a cop. And uh, part of the podcast that we really talk about is the ability for us to make changes. And that's about voting and so forth. So we all have to be more politically involved and start to hold a lot of these commanding officers, these DAs, these people that are in these positions and hold these guys accountable to the things that they do. But 
when things that I noticed when I was out there about, you know, a lot of the vandalism, uh, water bottles, I want to ask both you guys, when you were noticing people throwing water bottles and so forth, who who was throwing those water bottles? Who did you notice throwing the water bottles? Um, either White one people. Yeah. White people. As we were walking to the, the Capitol, too, we noticed a lot of, uh, you know, white people also tagging on buildings and things of that sort. And, and so yeah, I, was sure. actually, I was actually was shocked when I stopped and came home. Um, I felt like uh, Nino Brown uh, attacking the, the group and asking who infiltrated the movement because it was it, – I, I was shocked when I sat and I thought and I, I looked at it, you know, and looked at the pictures and looked at the things that I, you know, I took. And I took a second to be out of that situation. I realized that, you know, they were setting up these images of the angry black face in front of these cops as we have white kids throwing water bottles over the angry black faces yeah. at the cops. Yeah. And spray painting and breaking windows and so forth. Um, yeah, that was one of the things I asked Chris. I was like, I just sent him a text. I was like, man, who did you notice who was throwing the water bottles and doing the vandalism? And I, I think he was shocked too when I asked that question. I don't know if either one of you guys were shocked by what you saw out there um, because I couldn't believe it. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I watched it like a whale you know, just what goes on in America. And, like, I've seen this happen before. Like, I've heard of Black Wall Street. And, you know, this is just something on a smaller scale that, you know, gives the higher masses a reason to, you know, hurt people of color. And I was, I saw it down there myself. It's like I saw a group of white men, probably in college, pull out, like, a handicap sign out of the ground, and they were just, like, waving it in front of the cops' faces. And the cops were just kind of just chill, calm, acting like nothing was going on. And then another group of white men are walking in the back while we're in the middle of, you know, protesting at the FED building. And that's when I went back and I see water bottles get thrown and they just kept walking. Like, they threw the water bottles and just kept walking. And then once they, like, kind of cleared, that's when the cops started shooting into the crowd. So it almost seemed like a planned thing. Like, you know what I mean? It was almost like they they start the, the fire and just get out of there and let the cops come and do their thing. So, you know, that's just about what I noticed. It was very fed up, it seemed like. You know, it's I, I've thought that a couple times in my head, and you don't really want to go. You feel like you're a conspiracy theorist. Like you're, exactly. you're like one of those guys. I'm like, yeah, they did this. But, and part the of the that are It's like you went down there. Like, no. <laughs> you were saying, excuse me? No, I agree. It felt it felt like you don't want to be part of that conspiracy theorist, and you you don't want to to think those things or say those things. But when I went down there, it was like I felt like there was a bunch of kids, uh, white kids, that were pretending like this was the movie Purge. They were dancing around the street, and they were spray painting and and, and breaking cop, uh, cop car windows and so forth. And the only thing that we're going to see on the media is you know, angry black faces yelling at cops as 
that's the narrative that's being pushed throughout every media station out in the world when it wasn't actually the case. Definitely agree with that. But it's easier though, because they know the consequences aren't as drastic for them as it is. You know what I mean? So it's like even if they are gonna do something, they're like, okay, I'm probably gonna get on at my office. You know what I mean? But there are a lot of white people that were out there that were actually for the cause, and you know, standing in front of you know people that were in, a, in the threat, you know, threat for the cops in their eyes. You know, so I'm not gonna yeah. say all white people were down there. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. There was a lot of them that were taking advantage of their their role in, you know, America. I think you can see is what something that I've said on several different podcasts is what I've noticed is this, you know, take away from the kids that were out there to cause damage. There is very much, especially in Austin, a marginalized group of people from every demographic that are out there to fight for the good fight. And what that means for all of us, whether you, you know, black, white, Mexican, Asian, part of the LGBTQ community, is what we have to do is understand that we're part of the marginalized group where the majority will pick and fight against us when it's a fight individually that we're fighting. We all have to stand up for each other's fight. So it can't just be oh, well, that's not my group. Um, you know, that's not something I need to worry about because that doesn't affect me. It has to be the marginalized groups in this country stand for each other. And if we do that, then we have more of a voice. So I can absolutely agree with you that it was not just like all white people doing crazy stuff, but there was definitely a big group. But what I will say and one thing that I – took away from this and why I started the podcast and wanted to speak back out is that as an older black man is we have to see that our youth are going to go out to this and can easily be manipulated into, hey, yeah, I was out here for the cause, but they just broke into a target and I see an opportunity for me to grab a couple stuff out of target. It's it's a crime of opportunity. You didn't go down there for it, but somebody else opened up this, and now you see a bunch of people running in and grabbing a couple of TVs, and you say, well, you know, I'm going to go get something free too, is we can't let the narrative ever be changed. So that means that more of us have to be involved and have the same knowledge no matter what they do to try to change the narrative. We're going to keep the narrative where it's at. Um so I think that just takes more of us getting involved and staying involved and being out there and and, and helping each other. Because I know even when I was out there, Chris helped me uh, where I, I got to the point where I was pissed and was like, you know, I'm pissed. You know, you, you guys are hitting people and, and you know, it comes down to the, the fight or flight, you know, just natural, you know, occurrence that we all have in our bodies that, you know, after so many times you punch somebody, eventually somebody's going to fight back. And that doesn't really care. That's not about a badge or a gun or any of that stuff. That's just a natural instinct for all of us to have, no matter what color you are. You punch somebody enough, eventually they punch you back. And I know after getting tackled and doing everything else, I was, you know, I had enough. (laughs) And so 
I was out there and it was like, but I say that too is part of what I actually said uh, going out there is like, hey, we got to be each other's support. So if you see me going sideways or I see you going sideways, I'm going to be your support to make sure you stay on track and vice versa. Right, I agree. Well, I don't want to have you guys discouraged. I want to ask one final question, anything like that. Is there something that you guys were hoping to accomplish when you were at the protest and participating, and is this something that you guys are going to do going forward? Thank you, Chris. Yeah, um, really, while uh, we went out there, I even told you, I was like, I kind of want to see you know, I got to see it for myself because it's been something that uh, you don't really want to accept. And so um, once we went, it was something that, you know, I was like, I, we need to we need to go to more. And we even went to, you know, the Vanessa Guillen protest, too. Absolutely. Um, and so it's, it's definitely something to where, you know, we got to speak up more. Um you know, let it be known and then educate people on kind of what's going on and happening. Anthony, same question for you. I know you had a pretty traumatic experience. I'm not sure if that has dissuaded you from being out there and having your, your voice still being heard or and always look at it. There's oh, yeah. more than one way to be in a protest. You kind of cut out. Saying, what, what was the what, what was the last part? Yeah, I was going to say it's like I, I wanted to make sure. Are you still wanting to be out there out front because you had a pretty uh, traumatic experience with your your protest experience? Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, this doesn't discourage me from being who I am as far as you know my role in America. I definitely see this as more of a platform and more of an anointing to spark other people to speak out on, like I said, their injustice and how they've encountered corrupt system injustice by the, you know, police or the justice system in general. And I have that very, very, very deep understanding of my ancestral, you know, background of, you know, people dying based, based off of wanting to see the system change and everyone be equal, you know. So I'm at an understanding. I had that understanding of I could die you know, when I was injured, when I was walking home, that eight-mile walk, like, I was spitting up blood, like, like crazy. So, you know, I was losing a lot of blood, so I was just thinking, like, you know, if I die right now, don't go out thinking you did something wrong or don't question your thoughts for being out here. You know, I had to give myself that pep talk, like, all right, dude, you're a great person. You're out here standing for what you believe in. You know, your family loves you. You love your family. Like, don't don't go out in a negative mindset. So for me to still be alive, I still have that in my heart of I could die. You know, like, I could die being out here for standing for nothing, or you could die standing for something that you truly believe in. So this, if anything, this raised the volume for my voice. You know, like, I got shot in the jaw. You know, I could be in a situation where I wouldn't be able to talk right now or couldn't talk right now. You know, I could have had a teach myself how to use my vocal cords again. My trachea could have been damaged. But, you know, I just had jaw damage, and even when my jaw was uh, broken, I could still talk. <laughs> you know, if I was in the hospital, 
cracking jokes and making the nurses' day go by better because they thought was my great gratitude of being able to still be on this earth, you know. So I want to go forward and, you know, bring people to that platform with me. You know, I don't want to just get to a certain level and, you know, well, this is what I did, you know. This is what. It's like, no, come with me and I'll show you how I got to this level. I can talk with you and give you that voice that you need or give you that advice that you need to be able to speak out about being done wrong. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you see the difference in people when you actually speak on a positive, you know, outcome of life. A lot of people hear negative things from the news, from their friends, family. So it's like when you hear positivity coming from someone who's been in a dark place, on a large scale, it, it gives you a lot more appreciation for your situation as well. Because people question me all the time, like, how are you still this happy? How are you not moving forward in a negative way? Like, how are you not, like, upset at ATD? It's like, oh, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm distraught to the core. Like, you know, I'm very upset, but that's not going to do anything for me moving forward. You know, what's the point of having a 100 people follow you who are all angry and upset, you know, that's a very heavy burden to carry with you. And, you know, I'd rather have 50 positive people with me than 100 negative people with me, you know, so that's why I do speak out so positively. And a lot of people may think it's corny or think it's cliche, but, you know, life is just too precious and beautiful for us to, you know, hold on to the negativity and negative experiences that we've encountered, you know, so that's why I just carry the positives with me through this experience and all the people that have come into my life just based off of this traumatic, you know, experience. And I've met some awesome people. You know, a lot of people have come into my circle that I would have never expected. You know, just even meeting back up with Chris, you know, this is definitely one of those things that, you know, I'm glad that he reached out to me because, you know, we're cool in high school, even after high school, but it's just you, you get to reconnect with people on a different level. You know, in high school, your mindset's different. Now we're grown men. And, you know, I never knew that he was this, you know, strongly influenced by his black culture, you know, and I, I love that, you know, like a lot of my friends, you know, they say they understand and they kind of say they, they're with it, but, you know, for you to come out and actually be on the forefront lines and, you know, actually make a podcast speaking on it, it's like, no, that, that is what is truly means you stand for something, you know, so I appreciate him reaching out to me on that level, but, you know, as far as moving forward, I think I'll just be loud, I'm going to be louder and be more educational and you know, I've been doing my own research, and I did my census girl this year, and before that, I kind of really didn't even take it serious or take it as, you know, deeply as I should, and once I actually realized, you know, what the census girl is for and what it can do for your community, I was like, holy crap, like, dude, like, hell yeah, like, this, like, yeah, I'm all about helping my community and bringing awareness to people who need uh, assistance financially and living-wise, you know, so it's just all about, if you're going to do the movement, do the movement all around, you know, I have to get that down, and you know, speaking with people, like, yeah, you got injured, man, like, you can't just be one of those people on the front lines your whole life, you know, you do, do some educational background, like, you know, get some knowledge in your mind, and, you know, that's why I was like, all right, 2020 is good, let me see what this is about, you know, just little things like that, that educate yourself and moving forward. I want to, like I said, I want to be able to enlighten people, reach one, teach one, and bring other people up with me, you know, along the way. Sure. No, I actually absolutely agree with what you just said is, um, one of the reasons we started the podcast and so forth and continue to reach out to the younger generation is that um, just like you, I had, you know, civil rights leaders and so forth. I've had mentors that have been in my life that have been part of the original civil rights movement. Every last one of these men and women 
put themselves in harm's way. So we all have yep. the right to vote. We all have the right to enjoy privileges that we have now. And the only way that's mm-hmm. going to continue for the next generation is for more of us to step forward and be willing to put ourselves in harm's way. So when we get guys like the current administration that want to take away some of those rights, we're going to say no, and we're going to be willing to stand up and stand in front of those bullets for the next generation. Um, it's unfortunate, but I also think the more of us that continue this fight, those previous and past generations of, that don't want us to have these privileges, they're going to continue to die off, um, and or they're going to change their mind because they're going to actually get to know some people that don't look like them and realize, well, I just didn't know someone that didn't look like me because I've been living in a bubble my entire life. So either way, the more voices we have, the more people that continue to step forward and show people that, hey, you know, I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm here to stand and I'm here to be peaceful, but I am going to continue to make my voice heard and I'm not going to stand for what we have going on in this world today. It's going to change. We're going to change it, and we're going to continue to step forward and do just that. Um, I want to say, you know, definitely thank you to you guys both for coming on to the podcast and sharing your experiences that you've had with, you know, local Austin protests. Uh, I want to say, Anthony, you know, I want to stay in touch with you. Definitely want to know if there's something as we you continue your fight to get justice for what happened to you, things that we can possibly do to help you do that, um, and anything that we can do in the future to help, just reach out. We'd be happy to help and do our best to, to help you get justice for the traumatic experience that you had at a protest. Thank you, guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you. appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. Definitely going to be, you know, that's going to be the narrative at this point, you know, just speak about the experience and, you know, bring awareness to it. And we are doing the documentary of it. And, you know, I definitely want you guys to be part of that documentary. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you guys are part of the Austin, you know, movement at this point. So we're spoke with y'all. So I'll definitely be in contact and let y'all know how that's going. And, you know, once we do get everything started to, like, finalize, because we're still in the early stages. So I definitely want you guys to one of y'all used to speak with the the I guess producer filmmaker of it and you know kind of give your piece on it too and maybe you guys can even pitch off the incorporation of what y'all experienced out there because he's a he's Peruvian and you know he has uh, his own experiences too so it's just you know a lot of different races that we're working with right now and you know I know you guys are definitely benefit from speaking with him too because he has a lot of footage from going down there and. He has a lot of pictures from being at the protest, and you have to speak with him, and he was in the mix of everything, like, you know, so I would definitely be able to get you guys in contact, and, and get, you know, just one of those things where you get more connections in the circle, and it's just, you know, raising up the speaker of the, the volume. No, absolutely, man. I want to say, uh, again, thank you guys for uh, coming on to the podcast, and uh, next week we'll be tuning in to another episode, and I want to say uh, thank you for being part of the block. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. Absolutely. All right. You guys take care.
All right. Well, y'all enjoy the rest of y'all Sunday, man. And, and, and Nicole, <laughs> nice meeting you. <laughs>